Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. Today we're going to talk about some burning questions. I get these, these are questions that I get a lot of times when clients come to me. Sure. And so today we are going to bust some myths. Awesome. All right, so I get this question a lot because my specialty is working with people in weight management. Okay. So a lot of weight loss and, you know, sometimes weight gain, but mostly weight loss. And we hear this term, negative calorie foods. Yes. Right? That's and something so, you see a lot online, isn't it? Yes. That yeah. There are foods that can actually help you burn calories. Right. By eating them. It's so, yeah. So it's a little misleading. We don't know even where this term came from and who coined the term negative calorie foods, but uh, usually these include celery, lettuce, and ice, basically. Interesting. (laughs) And perhaps sometimes they add in fruits like blueberries or apples, uh, mostly because they're high in water and fiber, Mm -hmm. usually, sorry, and they're usually low in calories. Even though they're low in calories, though, you know what I mean? They still have calories. And right. so this negative calorie burning is is interesting to me. And so the theory is that, you know, you do have to expend energy, right, to metabolize food. For those of you science nerds out there, that's called the thermic <laughs> effect of food. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, there's this thermic effect of food that basically adds to our metabolic rate and how many calories we burn in a day. Right. And so they've looked at if you isolate these certain foods, it's going to cause you to have a negative energy balance. Right. Okay. So what they're thinking is it costs more calories to digest them than they can they consume right. or than you would consume? Right. Huh. So in terms of chewing and processing it, that it would take more calories. You would burn more calories than what you're getting. So sure. a serving of celery is like five calories, right? Okay. And so that's where that comes from. It's very high in water, very high in fiber, and it just takes longer and harder to digest. But... Could you eat celery and these foods all day, every day, and that's all you eat, right? Right. Um, if we wanted to do this negative calorie foods, we'd eat ice, celery, cucumbers, onions, lettuce, some fruit here and there. And so, first of all, that'd be very boring. And not balanced. And not balanced. It doesn't provide the nutrients that the body needs either. Right. And who really... There's no benefit to being in a negative calorie balance anyway. Right. In terms of our metabolism, we need, our, our bodies need a certain amount of calories in a day. Just to function. Just to function. And just yeah. to do what the body needs to do. It's constantly turning over cells and repairing itself. So it's not a lot of benefit there, you know. So I would say kind of maybe what you could take away from this is there are some foods that are very high in fiber and water and satisfying. Right. I think I've seen studies. Have you seen studies about people who eat apples mm-hmm. every day have an easier time managing their weight because they're high? It's not the negative calorie effect, right. but they're high in fiber okay. and water, and people tend to overeat less Exactly. when they have a fuller stomach. 
Correct. From eating those high Correct. fiber, high water things. Right. The thing that I like about the negative calorie food is, yeah, exactly what you just said. It's because it's it's the fruits and the vegetables that we should be eating. They're high in fiber. They make us feel full longer. And that's why we should be including them. But we should not exclusively be trying to aim for our negative calorie diet, negative calorie foods. Right. So the takeaway is, again, eat those fruits and vegetables. Right. But not necessarily for the reason that the internet tells you to. Exactly. Yes. Thanks. So speaking of the internet and <laughs> celery, so I've had a couple of people bring this up to me actually in the last month about celery juice. Yes. Have you heard about celery juice? I Yes, I do hear this also, and I see a lot on celery juice as well. So this is a really interesting phenomenon. From what I can tell from my reading that this was started by sort of the self-proclaimed guru of the celery juice movement, uh, a guy named Anthony William, Mm -hmm. who, if you go on YouTube, is also (laughs) known as the medical medium. Now, I would warn you to not have like a drink in your hand (laughs) when you you watch this video, because you might do a spit take, as I did when you watch these videos. They're quite interesting. Yeah. Um, He talks about how he can sort of predict when people are going to become ill, and he can oh, sort wow. of cure people. It's sort of a, kind of a glorified faith healing. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's really it's kind of like a psychic predictor, kind for of right illness. Yeah, and on his on his website, he's pretty, you know kind of promoting um, celery juice as sort of this miracle elixir that you can okay. take. It also is apparently hit Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop website. A kind of, of like this healing tonic <laughs> that you can take um, that sort of restores your 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 health and can cure all sort of mystery illnesses that you might have. Um, I actually had a couple of people in my uh, celiac support group bring this up to me because they had read that it could cure autoimmune diseases, and I thought, oh no no. Oh wow. So. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's our first rule with fad diets. Right. If it yeah. sounds like it, that boy, that sounds like a miracle, or that it particularly focuses on one food, right. um, just like celery, you know, right. it, it this is there is no such thing as that sort of superfood no. that can cure what ails you. So what this is purported to be able to do in your body is reduced inflammation, which I think, you know, everybody's sure. concerned about. Uh-huh. Could lead to chronic Absolutely. disease, cancer, heart disease. Right. Supposedly, it talks about that there's a flavonoid in celery that is a chemopreventative effect for the prevention of cancer. Again, that's nice that that's in celery, right. but there's nothing magical about celery and in terms of curing cancer or preventing cancer right. that you wouldn't get by just eating the celery. Weight loss, and we're talking about that full stock, intact Celery, yes, mm-hmm. that might just like we talked about lead yep. to weight loss and the fact that it's going to keep you fuller. But if you've ever juiced a fruit or a vegetable, you know what often happens is that fiber goes away. Right. Yeah, you kind of lose some fiber in the processing. Right. And while it's controversial, there is some thought that you know chewing, the act of chewing and yep. and eating food is more satisfying to the stomach than drinking a juice. Yes. And we, we talk about this all the time, you know, yeah. eat the apples instead of drinking the apple juice or eat the oranges instead of drinking the orange mm-hmm. juice. Same type of thing here. You know, you're better off to eat the celery than to drink the celery juice. One place where celery juice might be helpful is hydration. Um, you know, again, it may have a little bit more water than eating the actual celery, but that 
Right. You know what's cheaper than celery juice? Water. <laughs> like, you know. Um, well, I mean, celery, if you eat celery, the stock itself, I believe it's like 90-some right, percent water right. content of that food. Right. Just eating the food. People right. don't realize that about broccoli as well. Right. It's very, very, very high. high. Exactly. Uh-huh. So, again... You know, people say, well, I started celery juice. I feel so much better. Uh But it's one of those things that I I see patients do a lot is that they start something like celery juice, but then they start going to the gym. They start (laughs) eating more fruits and vegetables generally, maybe taking better care of themselves, maybe drinking less alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that may be what is making them feel better, not necessarily anything magical. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and everything you've said about the celery, the anti-inflammation, the mm -hmm. cancer properties, the the weight loss, those come from any fruit or vegetable that you consume. Right. Right. I, it doesn't matter. That's why I'm always telling people, eat more fruits and vegetables. Yep. I don't think that there's a magic, anything magic in what we're learning about celery that goes above and beyond any other fruit or vegetable, which right. we know helps with right. inflammation, decrease exactly. cancer risk, and weight loss. There's nothing specific or magical about no. celery mm-hmm. over any other fruit or vegetable right. that you might have out there. Mm-hmm. So again, eat those fruits and vegetables. Please don't juice your celery, right. you know. I mean, I have a lot of people who juice, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. that's legitimate if you feel like that's something you want to do because of the convenience of having a juice. Yep. Have you ever had clients that juice? Oh, yeah, and, and it's a convenient breakfast way to go for people who maybe were working on trying to eat something in the morning and, you know, it goes down easier and it's easy to do. Right. People like doing that. Um, it's a good way to start. And right. It, and I can make a I can make a – a smoothie in the morning that's pretty satisfying and filling. So, right. You know. Right. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, nope. but to say it's somehow superior right. to other fruits and vegetables is just it's we can yeah. we can bust that question. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. So my next little myth that we want to bust is on apple cider vinegar. Oh, you my hear that goodness. so much, yes. right? I heard it will cause me to lose weight. What's the oh, truth? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, again, like the celery. It uh, Let's see. It's been heralded as a magic elixir. So it controls your blood sugar levels, prevents heart disease, whitens teeth, slows the aging process. Wow. Uh, so yeah, they didn't even mention weight loss there, but I have heard people talking about it in terms of weight loss too. So let's kind of talk about this a little bit. The whole thing, and and the, when I hear apple cider vinegar from a, most of my clients that bring this up are my diabetics. They okay, and this is out there quite a bit with your diabetics that this is going to help with blood sugar control. Interesting. Interesting thing about it, though, is the study, everything that's based on that is from one study in 2004, and the sample size was 10 people. Oh, my goodness. So let's think about, back to our our nutrition studies, what was the sample size? 10 people. Wow. Can we apply that that to the general population? Good sample size. No. So the researchers said bottom line was that it may help improve insulin sensitivity and reduce blood sugar. But what they looked at was 10 people, and these 10 people already had diabetes. Okay. Okay, so they're not even looking at... Um, when they talk about improving insulin sensitivity, I get a lot of people who like are trying to prevent diabetes and then, right. and they've heard this. So, you know, it just, there's really not much, it's really impossible to make a conclusion that the benefit of the apple cider vinegar to the general population based on uh, that study. 
And the study did not demonstrate that apple cider vinegar prevents or slows down the onset of diabetes. Uh, So we just need to take that with a grain of salt. What's in the apple cider vinegar that they think does this? Let's see here. Oh, the acetic acid that's in the the apple cider. So basically what they're saying is that the acetic acid that's in vinegar blocks the absorption of starch. Okay. So starches like when they were consuming apple cider vinegar alongside pasta, bread, and potatoes, they reduce the rise in blood sugar following that meal. Okay. So again, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables. Variables there. with yeah, and then ten people. Right. It's just not very strong. However, you know, I so let's look at also chronic disease because we also see a lot of information about apple cider vinegar and chronic disease. In terms of obesity and heart disease, there really is little evidence that it has any effect in humans, but they have done some rat studies. Okay, and again, back to that studies, human studies and studies on animals are not necessarily uh, interchangeable. Correct. So, but there were a few studies this time that were published between 2001 and 2014 that demonstrated that blood pressure and blood triglycerides were reduced in rats that were fed vinegar along with a high cholesterol diet. Okay. Again, Um, good place for starting questions, but I wonder if that would be applicable in humans. And that's what they say is these are preliminary studies. There's little evidence that it has the same effect in humans. So one study did show promise that results may also apply to humans. In 2009, there was a study on obese Japanese adults Mm -hmm. and looking at vinegar on body weight, body mass, Um, fat mass and serum triglyceride. And they found that ingesting a daily drink of diluted vinegar resulted in small weight loss. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So sounds good. It was two to four pounds over 12 weeks. So minimal at best. Yes, exactly, right? Minimal at best. I think, I I always tell my clients, your body weight can fluctuate four pounds in a day. Right. So to me, that's not really significant results at all. No. So, and then there was a single study on obese individuals. It's just not enough, or this single study is not enough to kind of tell us that it's going to help with weight loss. Right. But that's what gets out there in the media, and that's why people just gravitate towards, ooh, this is going to cure my problem with my weight or my diabetes or... Heart disease. Are there any dangers in using apple cider vinegar? Yes. Yeah. So that's the thing that scares me with apple cider vinegar. We have to understand and remember that it is an acid. Yeah. Okay. So whether you swallow it or rub an acid in the body, it can burn and cause permanent damage. Okay. And so it's especially damaging to the teeth as well. So it's kind of interesting because they talk about it as being <clears throat> a teeth whitener, but we have to understand that uh, that high acid can erode our enamel on our teeth. Very interesting. So, um, so for sure, when I recommend when clients, if you're having a salad, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and you're putting a vinaigrette on it, that's awesome. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But don't ever drink plain, apple, straight up apple cider uh, vinegar. We've had uh, issues where people have burned their esophagus. Okay. So, so. drink it if you're going to do it, if you have to do it. Correct. Or you feel like this <laughs> is something that's calling like to you, to diluting it is absolutely, absolutely important. Yes. Information on diluting it and what that looks like, I, I, I'm not finding a lot, but 
you know, one recommendation is a teaspoon for eight ounces of water, and you might even go lower than that if it's taste, a strong flavor. Yeah, it's a very strong flavor, and it's really how it, you know, it's that mindfulness about how is that feeling to your stomach too, right. and if it makes you feel a little uncomfortable, then you might have had overdone the cider a little bit. Right, and what I think is most important is that you're never using it on your skin or ingesting right. it directly. Right. I've read reports from dermatologists who talk about people getting you know, chemical type burns yeah. on their raw, you know, right. raw on their skin, and right. that's just oh, it's an not acid. Good. So. Yeah, it's an acid. It's, yeah. it should be used that way. Yep, absolutely. Well, I also wanted to take on sort of um, a little bit about information about dairy products because we hear a lot um, that people should not be consuming milk because of all of the hormones and the antibiotics. And I thought I would kind of want to bust a couple of those myths. Yes, I get this all the time from clients. They're so fearful over this. and. I, I yeah. Go I hear, ahead. Do you, do you? I also hear that you know dairy products cause girls to develop puberty earlier. Oh yeah. Um, It'll and, make men develop breasts. Right. I mean, I've heard right. these things too. And right. So first of all, let's talk about that sort of hormone-free myth. Yes. You know, hormones are are part of our every every living being. Right. With the exception of minerals, <laughs> you know, hormones are necessary to basically they stimulate cells to do things right at a cellular level it's in all cells right right? so So, for example hormones stimulate for a woman who's breastfeeding for her mammary you know ducts and, mm -hmm. and cells to produce milk yeah the hormone that comes to do that doesn't stimulate all of her cells to do that right it's just those particular cells but they're necessary for every body process and they're in everything that we eat and drink and they're in our body and you know it's funny because people say well I avoid hormones because I avoid dairy products because of the hormones right well did you avoid breastfeeding too because right guess what that is (laughs) you know that's right your hormones and and breast milk hormones themselves sound like a dirty word yeah but they're really necessary they're, for all body functions. Without yeah. hormones, we don't live. Right, right. Without hormones, nothing happens. Right. And, I'm so and, glad you brought that up because it just it it just sounds so negative, right. and people get so right, upset so about worrying it. about it. So all milk has hormones in it, no matter whether it's a soy milk or an almond milk. Mm-hmm. They all have hormones in them. <laughs> it would, That's it has to, or it wouldn't exist. So the fear-mongering really around hormones in milk started with the RBST, so recombinant yep. bovine somatotropin, uh-huh. which is basically a commercially produced version of the hormone that the cow actually naturally makes in its pituitary gland. And it was given to cows starting in the mid-90s, it was approved mm-hmm. by the FDA in 1993, to increase milk production. Yep. And so this became very controversial right. because people freaked out at that sort of thought of hormones in their right. milk and what's that doing to them. Well, um, unnaturally getting the cow to produce more milk. Right. Is, and then somehow then that's going into us and right. we're somehow going to be affected, right. affected by that. Right. And so what they had found is that there was something called insulin-like growth factor that was increased in cows that had been given this particular commercially produced hormone to Mm -hmm. increase their milk production. The problem is 
the good news is, and there was concern <laughs> about this increasing breast cancer in women who consume dairy products, is that that level of insulin-like growth factor uh-huh. was still well within normal limits and still less than what was naturally in the body. Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, we use this recombinant DNA with lots of stuff. You know, you hear this word recombinant DNA and it sounds like Frankenstein, doesn't it? Right. But, you know, that's how insulin is made. (laughs) You know, regular (laughs) insulin and we all celebrate that. It's that same technology. And what the thought was with RBST is that we could feed more people with a lower environmental impact. Right. Um, The other thing to remember is that 75% of women and 50% of men do not get enough calcium from their diet. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the more dairy products that you consume, the more calcium that you're going to get. Right. So we're feeding a larger, a growing population. We're trying to solve this problem of how do we get the nutrients that a larger population needs into their diet. Exactly. Exactly. The, you know, because of all the fear-mongering in 2007, a lot of major chains, including Kroger and things like mm-hmm. that, dropped RSBT-derived milk. The thing about it is, and I haven't gone to the grocery store to see this lately, but I don't know if this is still a requirement for this statement, but RBST claims on milk now also I need to have an asterisk that milk that is derived using RBST is no fundamentally no different. Right. There'll be right. a statement that says this is no different than right. cows that are, you know, use this particular right. hormone. So if you look closely, it's basically saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, exactly. Public pressure has been so significant with this that the vast majority of dairy producers, I think I read a study that was over 90% no longer use this. Uh-huh. And because of the public pressure. And right. what worries me about this is if public pressure can do something like this, right. what else will public pressure do? Right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's a concern that... Right. Now, I, I have... Whether there's, it's legitimate. I think what I've seen is some people complaining or saying that the hormones then affect them and cause issues in their body. So right. men developing breasts, or you know what I mean? Right. They go into this right. fear well, over that... The one thing I see is, you know, concern about soy and, uh-huh. and boys, mm-hmm. you know, that boys should not, right, should not be, cons- again, yeah. um, right. we talked I think about the, that a little bit on those fears are unfounded. Yeah. And again, you know, I think the normal amount of soy that we get from food mm-hmm. uh, is not a concern. Right. It's not it's a not. concern. You know, soy supplements, you know, for women who are going through menopause are possibly not safe, mm-hmm. but, you know, drinking soy milk or eating, you know, vegan cheese that's made with soy yeah. is not a concern. Again, right. normal human amounts. Mm-hmm. And then finally on to antibiotics in milk. Um, again, there's a lot of concern about yep. antibiotics. Yes. <laughs> and, I... and so <laughs> antibiotics are used to treat sick animals. Mm-hmm. And just like if you get an infection, you want to be able to take antibiotics. Yep. Um, a cow that gets mastitis needs right. to take antibiotics for her comfort. Exactly. You know, I mean, can you imagine can if imagine you were if feeling have... horrible and you were not allowed to have an antibiotic because right. you were feeling horrible? This right. drives me insane and right. makes me mad because I'm such an animal lover and right. I care about animals. Right. And to deny them antibiotics is right. cruel. Yes. A 2009 FDA ordinance stated that milk is to have no detectable antibiotic residues. So if you're concerned about antibiotics in milk, please don't be. Right. Because every tanker of milk is tested before it even Mm -hmm. leaves 
the, the area before it's even processed. Right. I saw this happening at a dairy farm at OSU. Interesting. And they were I, testing it. Yeah. So Ooh. the milk tank, the milk truck was pulled up there, and we were able to talk to them. And basically, they told us every tanker that comes in, they actually stop at several different farms and pick up milk, right? Okay. And but each farm, as they pick up that milk supply from that farm. Is te- they take a sample and mm-hmm. that is tested later, mm-hmm. so they don't have time to test it on the truck. But each farm that they test, if any of them come back and they don't meet the requirements and and have antibiotics present, then they will re- they will scrap the whole tank of milk, and that farmer then has to pay for the milk of the other farmers. Oh my gosh! So there is no there. So there is no incentive for them. There is no to, incentive for them, for them to, to sneak, sneak it in. in. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No, not at all. Right. So they're responsible for that whole tank of milk that gets destroyed right. then at that point. So the term antibiotic-free that you might see on mm-hmm. different products really actually even has no USDA definition. It's one of those sort of free-from labels that people are looking for. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no definition of that type of term when you yeah. see something that's antibiotic-free. It's like the GMO labels that right. I see too that right. drive me crazy. Right. There's mm-hmm. no definition of that. Right. And finally, the one I hear about on dairy is that does this make girls develop puberty earlier? Mm-hmm. You know, again, plants like soybean, cabbage, meat, milk, all have hormones, but again, much lower than what our bodies actually naturally produce on a daily basis. And, and, and to be fair, girls do hit puberty, you know, 30 years ago, you know, they didn't hit puberty as early as they right. do now. Right. Um, but many studies suggest it's not significantly earlier, maybe six months. Right. So it's not like they're hitting puberty years earlier right. somehow. And I wonder how much of that is related to the obesity exactly. in our population exactly. and the growing obesity problem. Right. So I, if you think about yeah. why puberty happens, it's to support reproduction. Right. And when is your body ready for reproduction? when you have better nutrition, maybe more body fat, and kind of our fattier diet may be more responsible for Mm -hmm. earlier puberty because the body is ready to pre-produce at an earlier age. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. There's nothing magical about it that something that was in the food that was causing this. It just means that our bodies, you know, young girls' bodies are ready for reproduction at an earlier Mm -hmm. age because they have a better diet, Mm -hmm. maybe a higher calorie diet. Unfortunately, it has sometimes a higher fat diet. Um, right. that can get them ready for that reproduction at an earlier age. There's nothing hormonally that's necessarily different in the foods mm-hmm. that we're eating. Mm-hmm. So, end of that story is, you know, eat dairy products. They're good for it you. It feels good about it. Right. They're you, fine. Right. Calcium is so important. You are at much more risk for sustaining an osteoporosis-related fracture right. than you are from developing a problem from supposed hormone issues in your mm-hmm. milk. Yeah. You know, an osteoporosis-related fracture can lead to death in people who are over 75. And in fact, I think I've seen studies where, you know, it's talking about death within a year, uh, you know, for many people who fracture a hip right. as at an older age. And if you know somebody in your life who's had a hip fracture at yeah, an older age, they often, they don't, they don't do well. No. They right. often end up in a, a facility, in a skilled nursing facility, sometimes for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And it's no way to live. No. Um, so be aware that osteoporosis is a real problem for women and men. Yeah. And I worry about now with kids not maybe consuming yeah. the calcium that they we all did when we were kids. Right. And milk was the beverage on the table when right. we were growing up. And it's maybe not anymore. No. When and I look at diet 
records of my clients, that is a key nutrient that is almost always missing. Right. And it's a really big concern. It is a huge concern. That, you know, now maybe 30, 40, 50 years from now, we're going to see a real increase in osteoporosis-related fractures in these young people that did Mm -hmm. not consume milk. Because, again, you only build bone to a certain point in your life. Yep. I think it's about 25 years of age. Right. And you have what you have. still putting bone on. But after that, you're done. Right. And then... Your body needs calcium. It's going to pull it from your bones and your teeth. Right. And because it has to have a certain amount of calcium circulating in the blood. Yep. So consume those dairy products. They're very important to our diets. Yes. All right. So I have one last myth and then that I looked at was arsenic. Okay. So arsenic in our food. Uh, we hear a lot about this in the gluten-free community. Yeah, because there's because the the foods are so rice-based. Yes, and in that a lot is of cases. one of the yeah. articles here specifically went directly about arsenic in 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 rice. Basically, the FDA has recently released a risk assessment on arsenic okay. in rice products, and their main conclusion is consumers can certainly eat rice as part of a well-balanced diet. Now, I understand in the celiac community, they kind of rely heavily on rice right. versus a typical diet. Right, rice flour is, the pati- rice. Yeah, is yeah. often the particular substitution that we see is yeah. rice flour in a lot of products. So I can't speak to that, yeah. Right. But in terms of a typical diet, based on, on their uh, assessment, we can certainly eat rice as part of a balanced diet. Arsenic is a metal and so there's a lot of metals that are found in our soils, okay. okay, and and in our water. And it's naturally and then sometimes due to man-made sources. But it's found in small amounts in plant-based foods. And uh, so you can hear of two different types of arsenic, inorganic and organic. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with organic farming. Um, but inorganic arsenic is the type of arsenic that in large quantities can cause health problems. Okay. When we talk about rice, to um, brown rice has slightly higher levels of arsenic than white rice, but overall the health benefits are much greater. Okay. So it kind of comes to that thing about the more fiber and the more anti-inflammation that helps from the brown rice can mm-hmm. be helpful to removing arsenic. That's the other thing is arsenic is not stored in the body. It okay. is one of those nutrients and, and minerals or metals that would end up um, just being excreted out of the body. Okay. If it did, because we don't really have a use for it, I don't believe. As far as we know right now. <laughs> and so we know foods that, like fruits, vegetables, and grains are part of a nutritious balanced diet, and we have longer or fewer long-term health problems when those are consumed. And so really to be concerned about the arsenic that's in those products mm-hmm. is not not necessary. Okay. So, I mean, I think it also kind of is how much are you consuming? Like they talk about as part of a balanced diet, Mm -hmm. that if you are consuming rice, you know, every meal, maybe it's something to reconsider, but there are other maybe health benefits from consuming rice every single meal. Correct. Um, So maybe it's a case where being able to vary your diet a little bit. Exactly. It's that balanced diet. If you have rice a couple of times a week, this is Mm -hmm. not something to be concerned about. Correct. What about fruit juice? I heard that, I think maybe on our good friend Dr. Oz, that kids who drink juices are at risk for having too much arsenic. Right. So for juice, the FDI requires all fruit juice producers um, to have good manufacturing processes 
and uh, there's uh, regulation that they look at with regards to the juice to make sure that it's not exceeding any kind of amounts that would be harmful. Okay. And again, fruit juice is not something that kids should be drinking in large amounts nope. anyway. Four to for... six ounces a day is what I recommend. Right. No more. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's something that if you are drinking a lot of fruit juice, there are probably other health effects that are more concerning yeah. than arsenic. Yeah. You know, exactly. The high sugar, the high calorie, you know, uh, yes. those types of things. Fruit juice is not good for in large amounts for anyone, really. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. very interesting. Very interesting. Well, finally, I wanted to wrap up with margarine because I hear a lot about, um, and I'm going to actually <laughs> post a link in our show notes to my maybe my favorite blog post about margarine from my favorite blog ever, Science Based Medicine. Okay. Um, and this, the title of this is Fake News About Margarine. Okay. Which we all love the word t- term fake news now. Um, so there are lots of myths around margarine. The first one that we hear a lot is that they're full of trans fats. Yeah. So the good news well, is they trans, were. they were well, <laughs> but it's been many years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, even in the last, you know, 10 years, I've had trouble finding margarine that contained trans fat. It used to be it was an all margarine yeah, and it was used. only maybe in stick margarines. And then, like I said, in the last 10 years, I've had trouble finding any margarine hmm. that had trans fats in them. Interesting. Right. They just weren't, they, they were removed back in 2000, you know, when the, when the labeling law went through in 2006, there just wasn't, it wasn't in vogue to have trans fats in them anymore. Okay. And now they definitely don't have trans fats in them. So because trans fats have been bad or banned. Banned. So, right. um, and prior to the ban, it was really probably more of a, okay, they're on to us. We can't have trans right. fats in our products. Right, right. So we'll we're going to get rid of them. Right, they weren't. They weren't. So right. especially the liquid in the tub margarines, they weren't, it wasn't even an issue in the uh-huh. last decade or maybe a little bit longer. Okay. But the one that I hear a lot about is that it's one molecule away from being plastic. Yes. Do you hear that? I you hear got, this all the have time. Have you gotten that email forward? I've oh, gotten that email forward. Yes. It's one, so... Yeah. Let's talk about chemistry. (laughs) So there are lots of things that are one molecule away from being other things. Exactly. So for example, water and hydrogen peroxide differ by one one atom. Of hydrogen. Um, Right. Yep. I would like to drink water, but I'm probably not going to drink hydrogen peroxide. How about you? Nope. Nope. Couldn't do it. Same thing with ethanol and methanol. Mm -hmm. You know, I might enjoy an adult beverage with some ethanol in it, Uh but I'm sure not going to drink methanol right. which will cause blindness and death right <laughs> so, right. right yeah so there again it's 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 there's so many things you know especially in yeah. our, our they're made of carbon hydrogen and oxygen right so many particular compounds yeah. in our environment right and by manipulating one molecule or atom such a great point has I love that nothing to do with anything you right. know plastics are polymers and they have nothing to do with margarine right. you know you're not going to melt your Tupperware and spread it on your toast (laughs) no nobody's going to do that right the other one I hear is it has no um, because it doesn't attract flies or rot that it has no nutritional value right well guess what margarine (laughs) you want to leave your margarine out it will eventually rot right (laughs) eventually rot but the one that uh, people think you know it's oh it's used for animal feed to fatten up turkeys Mm -hmm. actually that's not where margarine came from it was a Napoleon thing he offered um, a prize to anybody who could produce a product as an alternative to butter because butter was really expensive. Okay. And so 
there was a, a gentleman who produced this mixture of beef fat, salt, water, milk, and margaric acid, and he called it oleomargarine. And I remember people in my, okay. my 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 grandparents' generations calling it oleo. Oh yeah, do you remember? I, hearing oh yeah, that? Yep. oleo. That's yeah. where that came from. It was in recipes that I right. Yeah. So it was actually marketed without the yellow food coloring at first. People said this doesn't look enough like butter because uh-huh. it was white. Um, and again, that yellow um, uh-huh. yellow food coloring was added after. Got again. Even back in the day, you would get the yellow food coloring and mix it yourself. You get your white, your white margarine and add in your yellow uh, coloring. Again, these other claims just don't have any basis. Uh, very similar amount of calories. There yeah. is, and in it's, fact, there are some specialty margarines now on the market that can actually block the absorption of cholesterol because mm-hmm. they contain plant sterols. Right. Um, so there are some actually possible benefits. Right. Now, yeah. if it comes down to taste, some people say, I just don't like the taste of margarine. Hey, you know what? Then go for it. If you right. don't like the taste of margarine, nobody says you have to use it. Right. Um, yeah. But from a nutritional perspective, there's really no, you know, in fact, mm-hmm. there could be benefits to margarine from a yeah. nutritional perspective. The plant um, standals, I think it requires quite a bit of margarine consumption to get there. But it does. It so, does. But, you know, there's potential there for sure right. to see some benefits and, and definitely right. not be have the saturated right. fat that butter has in right. it. Right. And there are other, you know, unsaturated fats in margarine that you mm-hmm. maybe you don't get in butter. Mm-hmm. In butter is all saturated fat. Right. So again, how much you use. You yeah. know, if you're using a pat of butter on your toast or on your baked potato, mm-hmm. maybe a day, you know, once or twice a day, I don't get too excited about what people right. choose to use. Yeah. But if you're using margarine or if you're using one to use butter on everything, you use it on right. everything. Or, or if you're using you, it all the time. Right. True. It may be something to take a look at the amount yeah. of calories. Yeah. Um, I personally and, don't use butter a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I do butter or margarine, I use I do tend to go towards butter, but I don't use it very often. Right. I'm more apt to take a nice loaf of bread at dinner and dip it in olive oil dipping sauce than I am to put butter on it. Right. So, so it's again how much you use yeah. really is, is can determine what right. you think you need to use. Right. Um, like you said, you have to use a lot of those kind of specialty margarines, but they are out there. Yeah. Um, and available for those who might be interested in them. But okay. again. Whether they're close to plastic, right? I think that's been busted. We can let that go, right? Yes. Again, there's a lot of things that are right close to things that you wouldn't want to do, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I think we've busted a lot of myths here, right? And today. we're going to take on some more in a future yeah. episode. Please um, send them our way if you right. have any ideas, right? If you think about um, other myths that you've heard, we yeah. have a few in mind, but we'd love to hear your feedback. Right? You can send us an email at dish at secretliferd.com, or you can visit our website at www.secretliferd.com. All the links and references that we've talked about today will be in our show notes. So if you mm-hmm. want to read more about apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. or arsenic and rice, and I'll put a little bit of information in for those who are gluten-free, um, maybe some guidelines on how to reduce your rice Great. exposure. Yeah. Because it is a big concern for With that the, community yeah. because everything is often very rice-based. And there are some good tips out there for reducing that exposure. Awesome. And I would just like to make a quick little plea, if you don't mind. We'd love to have any feedback on our podcast. Mm -hmm. If you can like our podcast, subscribe Mm -hmm. to our podcast. And uh, we would really appreciate it if you want to share it with all of your friends and family. We will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts.